Welcome to the latest FT Advisor in Focus podcast. In this episode, we focus on why the self-employed and particularly younger gig economy workers desperately need some solid pension solutions to help them make long-term provision for their retirement. With me, Simini Kuriaku, Senior Editor for FT Advisor, are some of the pensions world's great and good. We have Jamie Jenkins, Director of Policy and External Affairs for Royal London, Jonathan Greer, Head of Retirement Policy at Quilter, and Nigel People, Director of Policy and Advocacy for the Pension and Lifetime Savings Association. Welcome all. Before we start the interrogation, we'll go to Joy Brooks-Gilzine. She's interning with FT Advisor, and she'll be providing a short report on why the self-employed need urgent pensions attention. Joy, over to you. The UK labour market has evolved over the past couple of decades. Demands for increased flexibility and a better work-life balance, coupled with remote working technology, have led to increased self-employment. There are around 4.8 million self-employed people in the UK, according to figures from the Money Advice Service. Since 2000, the total number of self-employed people in the UK has increased by 50%. Self-employed people account for 15% of the UK workforce, yet only 31% of those who are self-employed are saving into a pension. But while self-employment boasts the benefits of being your own boss and working to your own schedule, it comes with a downside. Self-employed people are at a disadvantage when it comes to pensions because they do not have a workplace pension to add to their state pension. Workplace pension schemes are provided for eligible employees with employers paying into the pension, contributing to the overall amount saved by employees for their retirement. While self-employed people are eligible for the state pension, on its own, the state pension is unlikely to provide a sufficient income to live on. The maximum value of the state pension for the current tax year is £179.60 per week. A crisis exists for self-employed people as they will need to top up their income. Figures from the Association of Independent Professionals and the Self-Employed show that 44% of all self-employed people in the UK are aged between 50 and 65. This is concerning because this group represents people approaching retirement age. And the current pension saving system geared towards employees does not provide suitable options for those who are self-employed. Similarly, a study carried out by the London School of Economics shows that more than 1 in 10 people aged 16 to 25 have lost their job as a result of the pandemic. Just under 6 in 10 have experienced a decrease in their earnings since the start of the coronavirus pandemic. The report also found that self-employed people, young people aged between 16 and 25, Women and working-class people were more likely to be hit by wage cuts and unemployment. This is another facet of the issues facing self-employed and gig economy workers. The coronavirus pandemic has hindered the ability of young people to develop the necessary skills to progress within the labour market. There are fears that a lack of support and pathways for young adults aged 16 to 25 will lead to long-term instability and unemployment if this is not addressed by the government. Young workers often have multiple sources of income and work for multiple employers. While this means they have the opportunity to increase their income, they may not meet the minimum earnings threshold for their respective employers, missing out on employer pensions contributions. It has been reported that being unemployed for a few years can have a dramatic impact on the chances of building a pension. For the young and self-employed people, getting onto the pension ladder in a post-pandemic world will be challenging. 
Newer, fairer methods of pension savings need to be developed in response to this crisis. Back to you, Simone. Thank you very much, Joy. Well, some very stark figures there. Gentlemen, obviously, we, uh, we've we heard some very, very stark figures and the obviously the coronavirus pandemic has exacerbated the problem for self-employed and gig economy workers. But why is it so important that we, as a pensions industry, help the self-employed with their pension provision? Nigel, can I start with you, please? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think, as, as Joy pointed out, that the real problem is that only a minority of self-employed people are doing their own pension saving, so they're relying on the state pension. And again, as we heard, that's only about 9,000 a year. Whilst uh, if they're in a couple, that probably is enough uh, to meet the minimal costs in retirement. It doesn't leave uh, any thrills or spills on top of that. And so somehow we all as an industry need to find a way to engage the self-employed in saving, interest them, and then you know provide products that meet their needs and if I may, I'll just say a couple of, of a couple of things related to that, based on some research that the PLSA has done uh, with the self-employed, asking them what's important to them when it comes to pension saving. And interestingly, many people in the sector had thought, well, hopefully there's some way of learning the lessons from automatic enrolment um, and applying those to the self-employed. You know, you just kind of get people in at a certain level and they're saving and they don't really need to engage with it. But when it comes to the self-employed, of course, they are usually extremely engaged in understanding of their finances, especially as they tend to vary so much uh, from job to job um, uh, and depending on the income they're getting. And the thing that they really value, therefore, is is also um, having control and flexibility. So the things uh, that they both, the two characteristics self-employed often have, which is one of actually being very much aware of their finances. So AE ticking over in the background doesn't work for them and wanting to have extreme control over the amount of money going in also doesn't really work with the AE model. Um, And so the solutions for the self-employed are probably going to have to go rather more down the route about finding attractive engagement tools. I have more to say on that, but I feel I should probably stop for a minute and allow you to involve others in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Nigel, I'd like to build on, on what you've said. And I'm going to go to, to Jonathan because I know Quilter has often done a lot of research in, in the past uh, about why uh, the self-employed are so stuck, really, when it comes to pension provision. And so, so you know, you mentioned flexibility and control. Um, but when it comes to retirement provision, it doesn't seem to be enough control for uh, the self-employed or enough uh, flexibility. Um, Jonathan, can we get uh, Quilter's views on this, please? It's an interesting uh, point. We looked over the last 20 years at self-employed and said, roughly speaking, 20 years ago, half the self-employed were saving into pensions. And then over the last 20 years, what we've seen is a takeoff in employee um, participation in pension schemes through auto-enrollment. But at the same time, we've seen a drop off in the self-employed, um, you know, by, by at least half. We thought, well, is this, a, is this something to do with the composition of the self-employed? Are the people who used to save into pensions who were self-employed, are those same people still saving into pensions? And what we found was quite a dramatic um, fall off rate among the groups who had higher proportions of savings 20 years ago. Um, so those people who were on a higher level of income, maybe might be a bit more stable, they weren't really participating in pensions the way they have done. Um, so we, what we've sort of realised here is that 
the compositional change in the self-employed isn't necessarily the main driver of why they aren't actually um, saving into pensions, which was which was an interesting point. But then we also looked at the average earnings increase in real terms, which is quite important. And they have flatlined for the last 20 years. They actually declined quite sharply up during right. the financial crisis. So we've almost lost two decades of, of lost income growth growth for the they're self-employed. I think that has a major impact on on their engagement with a long-term savings vehicles because pensions themselves, once you put it in into a pension, you know, it's it's there until your retirement. I think that puts up off a lot of people. But more broadly as well, um, the proportion of self-employed saving other forms, savings accounts, individual savings accounts, shares, those sorts of things. That's also seen a slight, a slight decline, not not as great as pensions, but also a slight decline as well. So it's um, more broadly for the self-employed, it's looking a little bit bleak in terms of the savings um, culture. There, I think, is a slightly wider problem. Yeah, um, let, let's build on this, Jamie. Is it is it bleak for the self-employed? Are there any glimmers of light? I think there are some glimmers of light. There's certainly still. A lot of work ongoing following the 2017 review that I was involved in where we looked at the self-employed population in the context of auto-enrolment to see how we might pick them up. There are no easy answers. That much was clear. You've got a population, as mentioned, of almost 5 million people in the UK. It's a very diverse population in the sense that you've got everything from sort of high-earning consultants in that group and accountants through to you know, somebody who, who spends six months of their life delivering pizza or whatever it may be as a stopgap to earn money. And it's, it's a very it's a very different thing. In some cases, it's a, a stopgap that will lead to a, a ultimately an employed career and they'll get picked up by auto-enrollment. In other cases, people are earning a lot of money and it's fine. They've got their own pensions and advisors. But there are a, a large number of people in that 5 million who just don't get picked up um, as workers do in, in automatic enrollment. And I think fundamentally what, what jumps out, I mean, basically where we are now is you've got the vast majority of employees who are eligible have been put in and are staying in a workplace pension. The vast majority of self-employed people are not in pensions of any description or at least not currently paying. So you've got a real, a real kind of contrast there. And I think you can, you can fairly obviously point to the fact that automatic enrolment is a system of opt-out. People have to actively opt out to not be saving for a pension. And for the self-employed, it's entirely about opt-in. And it almost proves the point quite clearly, as we saw with an uptake from um, amongst employees of around 40%, I think the participation rate was pre-auto enrollment. It's now, what, 80 or 90%. That difference has come from an opt-out approach where people don't need to do anything and they can be nudged. Now, the trick here, and, and to, to kind of conclude on this, the, the trick that we're looking for, I guess, is the equivalent in a self-employed environment. And it's not as easy because you don't have an employer to act as that party responsible for putting people in. And indeed, there's nobody who will contribute other than the person themselves and the government through tax relief. So we need to find what is that magic kind of trigger in the different areas of self-employment that would get people started in saving. Even if they don't have an employer contribution, there are still many benefits to them saving. Yeah. I mean, Jamie, can I can I stick with you? Because I know in previous podcasts, I've uh, promoted you to Chancellor 
um, pensions minister. And I think I even promoted you once to prime minister in light of some of your pensions proposals. So what sort of measures have been put forward to help the self-employed and how effective might these be? So most of it is centred around engaging them in the idea that they need to save and that they need to save not just into other things such as property or their business, but also a pension where there's, there's real advantages to that. And so there's been various trials in looking at different messages and how they might land. And they've been interesting, but none of them has been a magic bullet by any stretch. I think the more interesting element is to look carefully at how a self-employed person's income works, which is far more sporadic than an employee's typically. And are there touch points in there where we could think about them diverting some of that money into a pension? A bit like, I mean, in a way, the way that, um, you know, we deal with tax and VAT, the way it's added to a bill, you know, you're not randomly asked for a VAT when you buy something. You're asked at the point that you pay and it's added on and it's added on as a percentage and you pay that and you know that it's something you've got to do. And is there something in there about also saying, well, there's not just VAT on this person's work, there's also their pension contribution. And how could we get, you know, almost everybody contributing to that in a way that's perfectly acceptable and sort of socially legitimate. And that those are the sorts of things that I think we need to explore because we just don't have the sort of weekly or monthly touch point of somebody being paid by an employer. We have to think of it more on a job-by-job basis when we look at the self-employed. So that, to me, is the area we need to explore. And as you can imagine, it's not, it's not an easy task. I kind of feel it's a bit like, you know, we tried stakeholder with employed people in 2001. It taught us a lot, but it didn't succeed in getting everybody into pensions. No, but they were good adverts, you know, nice sheepdog. There were some wonderful adverts, um, all, all very memorable, but not particularly the, the, the effort around pensions that, that followed. Mm. I mean, what we tried there was an opt-in. And then in 2012, we came along with auto-enrollment, which was the opt-out, and that was the difference that made the difference. I guess the key here is that we don't lose an opportunity by spending an awful lot of time on one thing, as we did the stakeholder, to learn that it takes another 10 or 15 or 20 years to get the right thing. I think it's right now to invest the time and, and really explore it properly and do it right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to bring Nigel in because I know the PLSA has been on, involved in pretty much every single consultation on this for I don't know how many decades, um, uh, Nigel. years, actually, <laughs> um, the PLSA stroke uh, National Association of Pension Funds. But clearly AE and has been discussed rather more in the last decade, so... Simone, did you have a specific question or shall I just... Yeah, yeah. T- t- tell me what, what the PLSA's um, view is on you know, what sort of measures might be sensible. Yeah. Okay, so in an ideal world, yes, we would try and use behavioural economics, try and find some way, maybe to do with the tax system, of uh, enabling uh, self-employed people to be uh, basically automatically saving. But... Everyone's been thinking about that for quite a few years now, and uh, it's gone on for about 15 years since the first Pensions Commission report that proposed automatic enrolment. So the PLSA, in addition to saying, yes, keep working on that government, keep working on your pilots, we've been exploring the scope for trying to create engagement tools uh, to help everybody have a bit of a sense about uh, the costs in retirement and how much they need to save uh, for retirement. And so we, on the back of some work done by our members, 
came out two or three years ago with the retirement living standards, mm. which some people will be aware gives everyone an idea of three levels of lifestyle in retirement. They cost about 10, 20, 30,000 mm. for each level. And for couples, which is uh, an interesting thought for us all, uh, it works out cheaper, 15, 30, 45. And, and it, it's sort of our hope that by, by having these kind of clear ideas of you've got choices to bring forward in people's minds, hey, this is what retirement will look like if I stay at this level of saving, that we may also be able to engage people then in wanting to save some more and have that better retirement because the each of the lifestyles is provided in great detail and we find that sort of what gets people excited. And I should just say uh, the rollout of the retirement living standards, which are all free to use, um, is going pretty well. We think it's touching about 14 million savers at the moment. And we know that the advisors community uh, uh, find them quite useful tools for mm. talking to people about saving where people have got some some spare money. Yeah, I've, I've had a look at them several times myself, um, both personally and, and professionally. Um, but I think, you know, with me, I am an engaged person uh, in that sense. You know, I, I want to know about my money and um, I want to write about um, people who know about their money. I mean, you know, both professionally and personally that you're sort of singing to the converted here, um, preaching to converted. Um, but I'm going to bring Jonathan in because when you were mentioning earlier about your research, if if people's um, savings are slightly tailoring off and if their level of pension contributions has tapered off and if their earnings has kind of flatlined over the past two years does it almost matter how engaged they are if they haven't got the money to save I mean Jonathan is is there a is there an issue with people just can't afford it maybe to a certain extent I don't think this is a problem of product I don't think there are insufficient products in the market for the self-employed um, I don't think that's the the case at all I think Jamie's right in terms of touch points I think it's easier to save when saving is easier, if that sounds funny. But actually, it, it, the point is is that you know, there's, there's certain touch points that self-employed people will have. Um, you know, we found that around half of the self-employed say they don't actually separate work and personal finances. And when you have those touch points and you make it easy to save when you're going on, it's not so much of a harder decision to save. So I think there is an element here where... Some people will find it very hard to find some extra cash to put aside to save long term. But I don't think that that is the main reason I think that people I would save for the longer term. Um, but I think people maybe are, will focus on the short term a lot more. Mm-hmm. So so the sources that people you know, generally will look at, the self-employed, so they'll look at this family and friends straight away. What do they do? HMRC touch points, as Jamie's just talked about, and we're going to have Making Tax Digital for the self-employed, which is going to be launched properly from April, a couple of years' time. That might be a key element, actually. That that might be a bit of a game changer because uh, there's a point in time when they will, they will engage with the revenue. If you could use that as a jump-off point um, so they could consider... Um, you know, they've done their tax, they're up-to-date, they know how much they've got spare, they can allocate some off to a savings vehicle. That feels quite useful. So that's that's going to be a useful point there. Also, you know, accountants and professional people they use as well. I yeah. think that that there'll be a further help there. So so I think it is possible for them to save. I just and I don't think it's products. I think it's it's touch point, and I think it's incentives. Yeah. You, Are there enough in touch points? 
Sorry to cut into you, Jonathan, but are there enough touch points and incentives for the the young? Because we know that a lot of young people are coming out Mm. of the pandemic. They are taking up gig economy jobs because they're the ones that are available. They're going to be the lowest paid. Um, Even if they are Mm. employed, they may be not earning quite enough to be auto-enrolled. How do we help the young gig economy workers? I'm I'm going to stick with you, Jonathan, then I'm going to go to Nigel and then to Jamie. So there's an argument in our pension system that you should help those people who need the most help. And whether that's changing the tax system to improve incentives for those people that need them the most. So we've had sort of consultations in the past which looked at the sort of incentives that people are are receiving. And if, if we are truly going to help those people on lower incomes and those people who struggle to save for the long term, it's it's the incentives have got to be there. It's got to pay to save for them. Otherwise, mm. they won't do more than the minimum, which which the auto enrollment does, or or on self employed. Mm. They simply won't engage because um, there's a few behavioural biases here, really, isn't there? You know, pre thirty, I know for a fact I wasn't thinking about pensions. Um, I was thinking about short term house, um, socialising. You know, car, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all You're those just paying things. the rent. Or just paying the rent. Mm. You know, those things come first. When you get to your thirties, you know, you might you might have been lucky enough to you know have your first house and things, and and that's when your kind of views change and you start looking a bit further on then. Mm, Nigel, um, and that's when for me it came in. So sorry, Jonathan. Yeah, I, that's twice I cut over you, and and uh, that's very rude. I'm sorry okay. about that. Uh, I don't want to do an Andrew Marr. I'm not. Uh... <laughs> I haven't I haven't got the face for TV. Um, Nigel, I'd like to build, uh, if you could build on what Jonathan's saying, you know, looking at sort of engagement and young people and the, the sort of the, the, the pay disparity there. Yeah. So I think I think the first point on, on, on particularly on the gig economy group of uh, young people uh, is, is I think, you know, maybe we need legislative solutions uh, about being clear about workers' rights, that if you're you're being paid a certain amount and you are really, for all intents and purposes, a worker who isn't really the traditional self-employed, skilled, uh, often skilled person or professional person. That if you're, if you're really, you're a, you're a worker in all but name, I think there's a case for legislation to have you redesignated as a worker so you get the benefits of automatic enrolment. So that's the first thing, and that's about the gig economy workers. On, on the young people issue, I mean, it's, it's, it's entirely... Right. We all know it. No one's interested in pensions until probably, uh, I mean, Jonathan was talking about north of 30, which is great. Um, but I'm certainly finding people you know, 50 plus get a lot more excited and interested in pensions and sometimes a bit disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact is, you know, I think it's going to be really, really hard to ever get young people particularly excited about pension saving. However, I think this is where we kind of need either legislative solutions like automatic enrolment, uh, and for instance, one of the things out of the AE 2017 review that Jamie Jenkins took part in was about lowering the age of automatic enrolment from 22 to 18. So, you know, please, please, can we get on with that? But I think the other thing is just to have a sort of a social norm of a general idea about, you know, this is what you do. You know, you put, uh, I mean, the government makes everyone think it's 8% of the band earnings. Um, on most measures, that doesn't really look enough. And um, so, you know, maybe along with the PLSA's line of let's make it 12 or 10 or whatever, just have a social norm of you should be putting this aside. You don't have to be very interested in it now. You can get excited about it later on. It's just it's just part of life. Yeah. Um, so I think that social norm concept is, is very important. Yeah, absolutely. And I keep trying to get my hairdresser, oh, and 
you know, when we finally get out of an extended lockdown, I can go back to the hairdresser again, trying to get them to, to pay into a pension. And they're sort of uh, 18, 19 and saying, look, start now, start your savings now. Even a, even a lifetime ISA for them would be better than uh, better than no savings at all. Um, Jamie? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's ever too young to start thinking about pensions. I think I was 17 when I really decided that that was the, the only thing in my life and I really wanted to be the pensions guy. But <laughs> that's just me. Um, yeah, I think a couple of things. One is, you know, what we need to be realistic. I mean, somebody at 17 or 18 trying to earn some money and get by and face all the challenges they face is not going to be obsessed with the idea of how they fund their retirement. And that's absolutely um, correct, really. And we should acknowledge that. I think all we really want to do is get them early into some kind of habit that says there is a long-term savings need. And even if that is putting away small change or rounding off purchases or taking a small percentage off money that they are paid um, to put away for the long term, even if that is a lifetime ISA or you know whatever it may be that they save into, I think that's okay. It's the savings habit that counts. And if and when they then have, you know, in the years ahead, an opportunity either through auto-enrollment or otherwise to start saving, they've already got the mindset that it's a good thing to do and a sensible thing to do and something they want to continue. And I do think there's there's something to be said for the whole agenda around responsible investment, which I think will appeal to a younger generation in a way that it hasn't um, perhaps over the last 20 years appealed to the to the generation coming to retirement now, insofar as, you know, climate change particularly is, is such a big part of their future, not just their retirement, but indeed their probably their working years if we do nothing about it and how, how that will affect them. So I think and, and I think I think generally because younger people have been brought up with that narrative in recent years, it's much more front of mind. And if we can connect the idea that they have an active role to play through the investments they make in their pension, then I think there is something about that being feeling like something more than just saving, actually being quite an activist in the fight against adverse climate change. And I think I think we'll 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 see more of that. I think when asked young people are more inclined to say they care about that, whether they take any action is a different story. And that's the bit we need to join up. Mm, so it seems, gentlemen, it's not just engagement, but the right sort of engagement using the right sort of language you know we don't necessarily need to be technological experts to to get all the youngsters who are on tiktok and whatnot but as long as we're speaking their language we can get them engaged interested and uh, help them start their savings journey whether they're in the gig economy or not um gentlemen i i'm, I'm aware of the, the 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 time and i'm afraid we're going to have to end this podcast and now but i could sit here for at least another half hour talking to you or listening to you i should say um, but I, I don't think uh, you could take another hour of me rambling and asking questions. So, Jonathan, Nigel and Jamie, I'm going to have to say thank you very much for your time today and for uh, joining us on this podcast. Thank you. Thanks, and thank you. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for listening as well. For more pensions news, do uh, keep visiting ftadvisor.com. Until next time, take care. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
my guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.